turn to the Romans letter. Again, we're going to actually start in uh, chapter 1, just to reread the first section here. I'm not starting over. Because we have been in this a while, I just want us to remember this is a letter that's meant to be read in one sitting and to go back and to just touch base with the introduction here and uh, and then we'll go we'll jump into chapter 13. Before we do that, let us pray one more time. Holy Master, you who are ascended up above all principalities and powers and authorities. You are the one in whom all power is given in heaven and in earth. We praise you this day, Lord, as best we can in this state of sin that we're in. We come and we worship you. We just say thank you for having mercy on us. Thank you, Lord, for sending us your word, for sending gifts in this church so that we might love and help each other be prepared for standing before you, the King of glory. So Holy Spirit, I pray now you would come in this word and you would let this word have a power and authority of its own. As you instruct us and rebuke us, reprove us, exhort us, and help us to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in McDonough, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There is the greeting to you straight from heaven, and that's still active right now as the Lord sends blessings upon you, and as Paul lays down his theme here in Romans 1, we have to remember that the theme is the just shall live by faith. That the righteousness of God is being revealed in the world through the gospel. And that the just shall live by faith. And we also have to remember that the wrath of God is also being revealed in the world every day from heaven. And that there is not anyone in the world who has any excuse whatsoever to not Believe the gospel and repent and submit in obedience to God. So the just shall live by faith. We live by faith, as we have just studied in Romans 12, by presenting our very bodies, everything that we are, in a living sacrifice. which is our reasonable service. Today we're going to talk about what is our reasonable service related to the government and how we relate to the government. We are to be 
transformed by the renewing of our minds. And one of the ways that we're to be transformed in the renewing of our minds is by how we think about government. And Paul's going to give us some instructions today on that. So we're commanded in chapter 12 to be humble, to be transformed, to use our gifts to love each other, to abhor evil and cling to that which is good. We're to rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. We're to not have any dissension in the body, but we're all to be united and of the same mind. We're to remember that vengeance is not ours, vengeance is the Lord's. And that while we are in the world being transformed, we are to overcome evil with good. That's kind of where we wound up last time. We are to overcome evil with good. We overcome evil in ourselves, the sin nature, with the good of the gospel and repentance and faith. We overcome evil in each other by loving each other with the gospel and helping each other on the way to glory. And we overcome evil in the world by feeding our enemy and giving them something to drink when they're thirsty and heaping coals of fire on their head and convicting them by our just and holy behavior. And so this just continues. Paul is telling us how we live by faith in the world in chapter 12 in community. And now he's moving to tell us how we live by faith in relation to the government. What is the role of the state in human affairs? How is the church to relate to the state and the state to the church? Those are the questions that Paul is dealing with here in chapter 13. When was this letter being written? Well, this was being written back in the early A.D.s, 20, 30 A.D., this letter is being written. It's being written while the Jews are experiencing Roman occupation and persecution. Nero is the Caesar. The history of the Jews is that they always rebel against governments. And that within a few years, in 70 A.D., Titus, the Roman general, would destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple once and for all. And so here, Paul is writing in a context of a government where the church had no voice in government. They did not have elected representatives. They didn't get to vote. And yet Paul says here that they were to obey the government. So your reasonable service to God in love is to obey the civil magistrate as they enforce God's moral law. So let's read chapter 13 now. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God. 
and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will you then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you shall have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to you for good. But if you do that which is evil, be afraid, for he bears not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that does evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For, for this cause, pay you tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loves another has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed, than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We'll take a look at the first seven verses today here as we talk about two things. We're going to talk about submission to the delegated authority, and we'll give five reasons why. And then we will talk about our submission to pay our taxes to pay for that civil authority. And then we will look at one third thing. We'll talk about, are there any exceptions to this, and how would those exceptions arise? So your reasonable service to God in love is to obey the civil magistrate as they enforce God's moral law. So number one, you are to be in subjection to the government. Here we see that the word power, as we begin in 13.1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God, Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God. So you can see this word is repeated several times there. This word power or higher powers is referring to the authorities, the civil magistrate. Those who are superior in rank over us. And we are to be subject to them. Let every soul, every person is to be subject to the government authorities, whether they be in America or North Korea. And now we're given five reasons why we are to be in subjection to the civil authorities. Why are we to be subject? Because they're ordained by God. 
It says, for there is no power but of God. What does that mean? There's no power but of God. Jesus Christ said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he delegates authority throughout the world. And we've talked about this before. There's authority of kings, governors, sheriffs, police officers, moms, dads. This authority is delegated from Christ all the way through. And that's something we have to understand. It says that we are to be subject. That word subject there is a military term. It's a compound word. It means that you're to line up under a ranking commander. And so at every level of authority in society, all the way into our families, we're to line up under that authority. Because it's, that authority is not mom's or dad's authority or the president's authority. That authority is God's authority. All authorities in this life are given by God. And so the first reason is because these authorities are appointed by God. They're delegated by God. Proverbs 8, 15 and 16. In Proverbs 8, my favorite chapter in Proverbs, because it is Jesus Christ personified in wisdom. And you can see that as you read this text. But it says in verse 15, By me, by Jesus Christ, kings reign, and princes decree justice. By me, princes rule, and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. Another place that we see this explained to us is in the book of Daniel. In Daniel 2 and 21, it says, And he, the sovereign king of the universe, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He removes presidents and sets up presidents. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. And if you go into chapter 4, we see this sovereignty of God over every civil magistrate demonstrated in probably the most vivid place anywhere in the Bible. In Daniel 4, you know that that, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream again and Daniel comes and interprets the dream and he's... For seven years, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be turned into an animal. You want to know the authority of God? God has the power and the authority to remove your reason and your understanding and turn you into an animal. In fact, those who reject God's authority and sovereignty, He gives over to this. Is that not what we see today? That's what Romans 1 is telling us. Those that reject God, God turns them over to a reprobate mind, which means an animal. And... Chapter 4 and 28 in Daniel. All this time, and then there came a time upon Nebuchadnezzar where he was walking in his palace. And listen to what he says. 
The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? No, it's not, Nebuchadnezzar. You're there because of God's power and for God's glory. And while the word was yet in his mouth, there's a voice from heaven that comes. And that judgment that Daniel told him about comes to pass. And isn't it even interesting that we can be told the truth of this word and depravity and the wickedness of man will sin anyway. And that judgment was pronounced in verse 32 and it says that you will be driven from men your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field. You'll eat grass like the oxen until seven years past. Until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. And He gives it to whoever He wants to. He gave it to Biden. Ain't nothing you can do about that. And so this is fulfilled and... And then at the end of those seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me. Where does understanding come from? Understanding who God is and who we are. That's a basis for all logic and reason. And I blessed the Most High and praised, I praised and honored Him that lives forever. This is a king that lives forever, who has all the power and all authority, and he delegates to whomever he wishes. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he does according to his will in heaven and on earth. And nobody can stop him or say, what do you think you're doing? And so from that text there and Proverbs text, we see that God has all power and authority. The reason we're to submit to civil authorities is because if they're in power, God allowed it. Or you could say caused it. And remember, this is being written to a church living in Rome where Nero is Caesar. The Nero who would marry a boy. Nero who would burn Rome, burn Christians for candles in his garden. Who, if you just read the story, you would think it was coming out of America. So if God is in control of all authority and history shows again and again He used wicked rulers. We're not to be afraid of wicked rulers. Could God, back in Romans 9, what did it tell us about Pharaoh? For this purpose have I raised you up to destroy you so that I can show you that I have ultimate power and authority. He did it using Nebuchadnezzar against Jerusalem. Again and again throughout history, God uses wicked rulers. 
to conduct his business. So we're not to be afraid of them. There's another application that comes out of this, brothers and sisters, that I must warn you about. If God is in control of all authority in history, then you've got to be careful about how you speak about those dignities. 2 Peter 2.10 In chapter 2 of Peter, Peter is speaking about the last times when there would be false prophets that would come along and... He's warning the church through Peter and through Jude. In both cases, he also warns the believers not to speak evil of their rulers. In 2 Peter 2.10, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, and they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. We should be afraid to speak evil of our leaders or other world leaders. We've got to be careful. Ouch. Right? As Vody says, if you can't say ouch, say amen. So we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. Jude says the same thing in Jude 1.8. And so we are to be in submission to civil authorities because God has ordained them and put them in place. The second reason why we are to submit is because there's consequences if you don't. In verse 13.2 of Romans, Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation or condemnation. So you must not resist God through resisting civil law. The word resist there means to oppose oneself. It has the idea of opposing yourself if you oppose civil law. In Titus 3.1, Paul would say the same thing. He said, put them in mind to be in subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Now I know y'all's minds is already jumping to exceptions. We'll get there. Haldane said this in his commentary. Have not Christians more security for their safety and the care of their Almighty Father than in a permission given by Him to defend themselves against the oppression of rulers? So what is he saying? He said, don't you have more security in trusting the Father who has all authority and power? Doesn't that give you more comfort than being given permission to to take your guns and go down to the public square and try to clean house? They that live by the sword will die by the sword. He goes on and says, We have peace regardless of whichever party's in power because who's the ultimate authority? So should we fret when our party's not in power? No, because our party's always in power. He goes on in his commentary and said, God rules on earth even in the counsels of his enemies as completely as he rules in heaven. Did you ever think that Roe v. Wade would be overturned when the the opposing party had all three branches of government? 
God rules and reigns. And when God chooses to overthrow empires of tyrants, He is at no loss for instruments. He's not obliged to employ the heirs of glory in such scenes of blood. He uses the wicked to overturn the wicked. Isn't that great? We don't have to get our hands dirty in those events. We leave that to Him. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord. We overcome evil with good. And sometimes the good that we overcome evil with is like Cranmer and Ridley by allowing them to burn our bodies at the stake for the faith. And we water the church with our blood. So we are to submit to government. We are to submit because it's ordained by God and because there are civil penalties and judgments for disobeying. Thirdly, we are to submit because the government's purpose is to punish evil and to praise you, to punish evil and to protect you. That's what the whole context is saying here. It's for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of them that do well. That is the bounds of the government right there. We are to be doers of good, and the government is to enforce a civil law and restrain upon the evil. And that restraint is also for you, because you still have a sin nature, and you still need the restraint of having penalties and consequences that would keep you from disobeying law. I heard a pastor say one time, that driving the speed limit is an act of worship. And that's born out of this text. Driving the speed limit is an act of worship because that's a law ordained by the civil authorities and this says be subject. So the state's first responsibility is to protect its citizens against evil. And the definition of evil is what? Violation of the moral law. You see that in this chapter, as we just read, that he goes back to the Ten Commandments and loving your neighbor as yourself. So the context for civil government is always to be enforcement of civil laws, good civil laws that support God's moral law. In 1 Peter 2.13-17, we see a companion text. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him, sent by who? By God, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. How do you put to silence the ignorance and the madness in our current society by doing good. Verse 16, As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the slaves of God, servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So the purpose again of the civil authorities is clearly laid out there. It's for the punishment of evildoers, for praise of them that do well, and we are to submit to them for the praise of God. 
The fourth reason we are to submit is because the government has the power of the sword, which means they have the power of the death penalty. In verse 4, For he is the minister of God to you for good. That's repeated again. The civil authorities are to be ministers of God to you for good, not evil. But if you do that which is evil, you need to be afraid. For he bears not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that does evil. The purpose of the civil government is to use the sword for the punishment of evildoers. We must understand that God's kingship through the civil law is not to be trifled with. The civil government is to use the sword to protect its citizens from evil within the country and from without the country. And if you take a look at our penitentiaries, you know what that meant? They were supposed to go to this place and do penance and be cured. It's not the state's responsibility to try to cure because why? Why? Because you can't cure sin, nature. There's only one cure for that, and it's being born again by the Spirit of God. And many in prison are born again, and God puts them there to bring them to faith and repentance. But they're not to try to cure it, they're to punish it. Many nations in this world have a Maximum 20-year sentence for someone who commits murder. So if you take a person's life and you only have to suffer 20 years in prison, what are you saying the value of a life is worth? 20 years. California right now is a law that nothing can be prosecuted for a theft crime under $900, something like that. And so what do you see? You see the looting of businesses, mass looting. I heard uh, a message this week about a pastor who was debating a priest. And the, the debate was over the death penalty. And this priest said that the death penalty does not deter evil. And the response of the pastor was, it does in the one who's put to death. Because that person will never do evil again. So civil authorities are ministers for good. The sword here referenced is for the punishment of evildoers. The death penalty is a New Testament thing. In the civil realm, if there is not justice and just laws for the punishment of evildoers, then they will get worse and worse. And then when the prisons are overrun, the wicked will be turned out on the streets by wicked rulers because the system becomes so overloaded they can't maintain it.
The state should never massacre its citizens, its citizens with the sword. And when that happens, you've got a government that's gone evil. And we've seen that in history. So we are to obey the civil authorities because God has established them. We are to obey them because they have the authority to punish you if you don't obey. And lastly, we are to obey them for the sake of conscience. And we see that in the next verse. Wherefore, we must needs be subject, in verse 5, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. So you are a moral agent. You're made in the image of God. You have this given, God-given conscience. Everyone does. Therefore, you must recognize that bearing dignity with regard to your Creator and your conscience is to obey the civil laws. You know what's right and wrong. And we read of those who are so wicked that it says in the Scriptures they sear their conscience as with a hot iron. If you sear the palm of your hand with an iron and you get that callus there and all those nerve endings are gone and you can no longer feel pain. And in our society today, we see many whose consciences are seared with a hot iron. So we are to be subject for conscience sake. And there are several ways I think we can see this. Number one is uh, we are to submit because of our own conscience. Not just to be obeying the law, but because for your peace. Submit to God and to submit to the laws, just laws. But also, your conscience, when you obey your conscience and God's moral law, you are being salt and light in society. And that's helping uphold civil law and moral law. Everyone knows God exists. He's told us that in Romans 1.18 and 19. That they have no excuse. And so whenever you obey your conscience and civil law and people see you doing good in society, you're convicting their conscience. And so we can be salt and light. So God, the government's limit in civil law is the enforcement of Ten Commandments, the moral law. If they start going against the moral law, then they're in violation of what God ordained them to do. God establishes moral law through His Word and His church. It is not in the realm of the government to establish moral law. That's the realm of God and His Word in the church of Jesus Christ. That's our lane. Their lane is to enforce civil law and to punish evildoers. There are times, however, when we, under conscience, must disobey civil authorities. Acts 5, 26. You've got the apostles here. They went with the captain. They were arrested by the officers. And they brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. This is the civil, the authorities that were over these apostles. And the high priest asked them, and saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? 
And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And what did Peter respond? Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. There's going to be times because of conscience and because of the evil laws that are put into place by rulers that we have to disobey. I give you an example of how a Christian man with a good Christian conscience help affect change in, in society even without there being passed any laws. His name was Jack Eckerd, Eckerd's Drug Stores. In 1983, he became a Christian, and he decided that in his drug stores, he was going to stop selling two particular magazines. Because his conscience wanted to do good for the praise of God. And these magazines, pornographic magazines, were making his business a lot of money. And he called his president. He owned the company. He called the president. His president argued with him. Of course, he won the day as the owner. And they removed these from all 1,700 of his Drugstores. But what's interesting is what happened next because of his conviction of conscience about moral law and about living in society in such a way that he could affect change by his Christian witness. There was a chain reaction. Revco, People's, Rite Aid, Dark Drug, Gray Drug, High Dairy Drug followed his lead. And then three years later, 1986, 7-11 removed them from all 4,500 stores and recommended that their other 3,600 franchise stores do the same. All of that over one man's conviction of conscience and obedience to the faith of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great example? So obeying God from a good conscience is the power that overcomes evil with good. So we are to submit to government. We've given five reasons why. Paul lays them out right there. Four, 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 four. And we're also to submit and pay taxes. For for this cause pay you tribute also. Pay your taxes. For they are God's ministers. There it is again. It's repeating. These are God's ministers. Attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So you are to submit to the government's collection of taxes for the very reason that they're supposed to use those taxes for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of them that do well. And they're to give continual attention to that, attending continually upon this very thing. And we see that there are different levels of taxes there, tribute, dues, and customs. In the United States, under Article One of Section 8 of the Constitution, Congress has the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and the general welfare of the United States. Income taxes, 16th Amendment. Congress has the power to collect income taxes. 
That's in the Internal Revenue Code, Title 26 of the United States Code. States. States are allowed to impose and collect their own taxes, which is included but not limited to income taxes, sales taxes, and property taxes. Render, therefore, to all their dues. That's your command. Tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Jesus paid his taxes too, didn't he? I wish I could pay my taxes like he paid his. By going fishing. But in Matthew twenty-two seventeen, we have a great illustration here also about the civil law and authority and God's law and God's authority. We'll take a look at that just for a minute. Matthew twenty-two seventeen. You remember, the Jews did not think it was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, and they hated the tax collectors because they felt like they were traitors. And so they bring this controversy to Jesus to try to trap him. But you can't trap he who is infinite in wisdom and understanding. In Matthew twenty-two seventeen, tell us therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful? For us to pay our taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus' response, a couple of verses, 19. A couple of verses down. Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he says unto them, Whose is that image and superscription? They said unto him, Caesar's. Well, it must be Caesar's money then. If he asks for some of it back, give it to him. Render. Under Caesar, the things that are Caesar. And then as I was reading one commentator this week, he said he could see Jesus flipping that coin over and showing him the other side of that coin, which had the image of a god or a goddess on it. He flips it over and he says, Render unto God the things that are God's. Caesar has his authority, his lane of authority and power. God has his lane and authority of power which is superior because he establishes the civil government. We have the authority of God and Caesar and with God in the dominant position. The government must stay in its lane and we have to stay in ours. So in the news a lot over the past 20 years, there's been all these reports, and even recently in the Southern Baptist Convention, about abuse taking place by men in power and authority within organizations. And the mistake that has been made in these organizations is whenever there has been a violation of the civil law, it's our responsibility to call them if somebody violates the civil law that's a member of the church we got to call them and say, this man has broken the law of civil authority. And where these organizations have gotten in trouble is where they haven't done that. In fact, there's a law in most, most states that's called a reporting law that if you don't report particular crimes, then you're guilty. You're in trouble. That's where the church has violated this 
two lanes of law, is that we have to submit to the civil law when they say you report a particular crime in the congregation, you've got to call them. And if that man or that woman or that person is a true believer, they, in their repentance, will understand, I must suffer the consequences of the civil law to show my repentance. So Calvin had this to say about civil magistrates, a good quote. He says, Magistrates may learn from this the nature of their calling, that they are not to rule on their own account, but for the public good. Nor do they have unbridled power, but power that is restricted to the welfare of their subjects. So are there any exceptions? Now we've looked at these commands. We've seen that the realm of government is to punish evildoers for the praise of them that do well. What does the United States government owe to us as the civil authorities under God's? Well, our government in the past two years has stepped into our personal civil liberties like no other time in the history of our country. They've ordered us not to leave our homes. They've ordered us to close our businesses. They've stood by while criminals have looted and destroyed businesses. Criminals and terrorists and Marxists and anarchists. And they have done nothing. They have released hardened criminals back into society. They've closed down churches and even arrested people for sitting out in their car in the church parking lot trying to hear a sermon. And all the while... That was going on. They kept abortion clinics open and marijuana dispensaries because they were considered to be essential businesses. Small business owners have been harassed by just trying to make a living and stay open. While our government has honored wicked groups for destroying their communities and looting. So what does the government owe us according to this text? To punish the wicked for the praise of them that do it. They're to protect business owners from this kind of evil. They are to enforce the preamble to the Constitution that everyone has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If the government engages in evil... As they are doing, the very best citizens will oppose that state verbally with acts of noncompliance. We are not to take up the sword. That's their realm. We're to overcome evil with good. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We are to obey the Great Commission. And you know there are governments where it's illegal. There are many nations in the world where it is illegal to preach the gospel. Why? Why would that be such a problem? Because it's true. And they don't like the teaching that there's an authority higher than they are.
Jesus Christ in John 19 stood before the highest civil authority in all the earth. And Pilate says this to Jesus Christ. Don't you realize I have the power to free you or crucify you? Jesus said, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. He didn't say Pilate was sinless. He said those who gave me over to you have a greater sin. Government leaders who have been ordained with civil authority are going to give account to God one day for their evil and their wickedness. Some of the worst violations our government has taken part of here in recent years is related to marriage and the family. You cannot have a society if the basic unit of government is not healthy, supported, and maintained. And that basic unit of government is the family. Society can't exist where there is not marriage between one man and one woman for life. And any sins against marriage, whether it be in the marriage or outside the marriage, is criminal. And it is an act of sin, not only against God, but against the peace of the nation that you live in. Those who think that they can just go out and sneak around and commit adultery into these things, they're damaging the whole society. The law of a marriage was established by God and government has no authority to change it. In fact, you can't change the definition of marriage. It's, as we've spoken in the past, it's like a law of gravity, a law of science. It's unchangeable. And any time the government tries to redefine that, redefine him and her, redefine male and female, they are attacking marriage and the basic level of society. They're like a drunk man standing there with a gun shooting himself in his foot again and again and again and wondering why he can't get up and walk. In the family, the authority is delegated to moms and dads over the children. Any government that tries to usurp the authority of parents over their children is in violation of God's established authorities in society. And we see that taking place also, don't we? And so that must be resisted. That must be resisted. The responsibility of the government is to destroy, to punish the wicked. Alexis de Tocqueville was the French author of Democracy in America in 1835, and he said, Liberty cannot be established without morality, nor morality without faith. 
It is said, when I was reading the biography of George Whitfield, he's a great evangelist. He came to the United States back in the 1830s. He crossed the ocean 13 times to come over here. God blessed his ministry. And there was great revival during those years. The great revivals of the 1700s. That's when it was, 1700s. Established the moral ground in this country whereby our liberty and our Constitution can succeed. When people are not governed by moral law, they will not be governed by any law. And George Whitfield is the true father of this country. Because he laid the groundwork for our form of government and the Constitution to be successful. If people will not submit to God's absolute law, they will not submit to words in a Constitution. And so we are to live in such a way, brothers and sisters, in holiness and purity all the days of our life, laying down our bodies as sacrifice, being transformed by the renewing of the Word, opposing evil and wicked laws. Our government is supposed to put in just laws, not evil laws. And when it violates our conscience, then we will oppose that. We don't take up the sword. We will even lay down our very bodies, if necessary, to oppose wicked laws. And we are to live in such a way as in Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And so be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You say, you might be saying, well, how am I going to do that with all this stuff going on? I think you, you got to have, you got to be transformed by this understandings we've talked about this day. And don't let your mind be transformed or conformed to the news. Satan has a thousand lies he's spewing every day through the news. And we do have to be informed. We've got to be wise. We've got to have the wisdom of Solomon and how much we read. So this nation is under the judgment of God. How else could we say otherwise? And everything that's going on. And we need to be faithful and humble in the face of this and say, Lord, how do I need to be humbled? How do I need to be humbled in everything that's going on? And help me to prepare my family for the most important thing that I can prepare them for. Transition from this world to the next. In Psalms 2, I'll read this and then we'll close in prayer. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and their rulers take counsel against the Lord and His anointed, saying, Let us break free. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. That, they want to break the Ten Commandments. They don't want any restraint whatsoever. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. They're already in derision. Confused, not knowing which way to turn. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore, sore displeasure. Yet 
even in the face of God's judgment that's going on in the world every day out there, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill in Zion. The church of Jesus Christ is secure. And Christ is ruling and reigning in His kingdom perfectly. And you are to remember that this is a successful kingdom. Always successful. And it's right on track and right on time. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, You are my son, this day have I begotten you. Ask of me and I shall give you the heathen for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. That's what we're to say to them. When Jesus stood in front of those leaders, He submitted to their authority and He spoke the truth. You wouldn't have any authority unless it was given to you by God. Peter stood in front of those civil authorities. He didn't resist them. He went willingly. He said, i got to obey God, not you. We speak the truth in love to them. And we say, be instructed, O you kings and you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. You trust Him, not governments. He's got all authority. He's in charge. Be comforted. May God bless His Word.